Hello and welcome back. My name is Natalie. I am your host here at Practical Alchemy. And for season two, this is Practical Alchemy in collaboration with Latinas Who Meditate. Today, I have the honor of sitting down with Linda Garcia, who is the CEO and founder of In Luz We Trust. She is a Cali native and a proud Latina, and she is the host of the Let There Be Loose podcast. And today she focuses on helping the Latinx community heal generational money wounds that prevent them from achieving wealth. Today, Linda is a published children's book author, a self-made business owner, a guiding luz, a guiding light for thousands of BIPOC folks who are looking to break free from the limiting and toxic money mentalities. And Linda's book, Wealth Warrior, is out now in stores. I actually have my own copy. I'm so excited to dive in. And Linda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. It's such an honor. We met at the We All Grow Amigas and Wealth pop-up event that y'all hosted here in LA. And my little baby sister was in town, who's only 19, which... I know for you, like to hear that somebody's learning about these tools at 19, I'm sure that's music to your ears. Very much so, yes. <laughs> it's just so inspiring because being a wellness and meditation practitioner myself, the fact that you kicked us off with the manifestation meditation and the way that you talked about your practice as a Latina woman, I was just so inspired and I thought we have to have Linda on season two of the podcast. And so... Thank you again. And I would love to start at the beginning. I know that you worked in the TV and film industry for 17 years. What happened during that time that led you to your shift to launch the Let There Be Loose podcast? Yeah. So I was working in TV and film. I really always wanted to be close to content creation. I started off writing producing and directing local television commercials. And then I wanted to aim towards something longer than 30 seconds or 60 seconds, um, which was then the film industry. And I got to be a part of that. And just being really close to content creation overall, I really wanted to see content creation that shifted perspectives so one of my favorite books is The Alchemist, and The Alchemist wow. really just shifted my entire life. I read it on a plane ride back home to California just as I was going to visit, and that book literally convinced me that I needed to stay in California. So it literally shifted my, uprooted me at 27 years old and propelled me into, if I'm going to follow this dream of being in film, then I need to do it now type thing. And so it was just the power of content and the power of storytelling. I was so close to it. And so while it may feel like it's a complete departure it really isn't. It was just me creating storytelling in the way that I perceived could help and be beneficial to my community members. So I just devoted myself to producing this podcast that was highly produced, very intentional. It reads very much like a diary, short episodes. And yeah, that was the start of me taking control of the type of content I wanted to see produced mm. in the world. And that's what 
pivoted. Obviously, there were things that came in the way of that. Like I got laid off from Netflix while I was being contracted at different movie studios and for different streaming services. I was never hired, no matter how many interviews I had done. And I felt like I was extremely qualified. It was like the universe was just pushing me to focus on my own content creation development, which I'm so grateful for, honestly. But back then I was stressed out. (laughs) Of course. What is it that they say? Rejection is God's protection, redirection, whatever it may be. And Thank you for sharing that. The Alchemist is also the book that changed my life. Hence, Practical Alchemy, Love and Alchemy. Like my whole brand is around alchemy. And The Alchemist for me too was a book that shifted everything for me. And so for the listeners, if you haven't read this one, it's a quick read. Like Linda said, she read it on a plane ride. And it's a powerful, powerful one. Wow. And so... I think that this kind of leads into my curiosity around your own spiritual journey. Can you share a little bit about that and how it led you to uncover your dharma, your soul's purpose, which is what you're doing today? Yes. So I have to share that a big part of my spiritual journey started when I was a very little girl. As a child, I connected with the moon. There was a lot of abuse that I experienced growing up. And the moon at night was my safe space. So I would talk to the moon. I believed that I wasn't from this planet. I believed that the moon was my mom and I would get mad at her and tell her like, you need to hurry up and come get me. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like it here. I hate it here. Like you need to come rescue me. And so I started to develop really intimate relationships with my surroundings, which actually looking back kind of feels a little sad, but also very powerful in the sense that I was already developing my intuition and my personal understanding. So there was also a tree right in front of our house and I would put my hand on the tree and I believed that my thoughts could transfer over and like any pain that I was carrying that I could give it to the tree to bear and that the tree would receive it and rejuvenate me. Like that was already me at a very young age. I spent, yeah, I spent a lot of time at a Creek across the street that led me to stand up to my mom and tell her that I was not going to do my first communion because I didn't believe that God was in the church And she tried to, of course, like stop me as a Catholic mom would. But even at like 11 years old or 10 years old when I made that decision, I think she really understood that she was not going to be able to convince me to do this. And so she sort of let me be. And I went on this journey of looking at different religions. I explored. I left Catholicism and then went into Christianity. And then I started exploring Buddhism. I read the Bible cover to cover while smoking. I was like doing the most crazy things at a very young age. I was determined to find God. Uh, That was like what I was determined to do. And through my own process, I did find God. I learned that God wasn't outside of me, that God was actually within. And that was kind of what kicked off my spiritual journey. And then I had the pleasure of reading so many books 
where I got to hear other spiritual journeys and other perspectives that really enriched my own perspective and made me understand that there isn't one and that there's this richness of different experiences, that there's so much power within. So that forced me to, instead of continuing searching outside, 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 to really just search inside, inside, inside. Wow. And that's just it, isn't it? First, the concept of the more that you take in others' perspectives and how other people view the world, the more that it expands and enriches your own perspective. And I think that's the beauty of the power of the internet today because traveling is truly the best teacher, but not everybody has the privilege to travel. And yet we can still access all of these different perspectives through film, through media. And then the second piece, I think that's just it. It's like, it's not outside of you. It's all within you. That's so beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. And so you help the Latine, Latinx community heal the generational money wounds that prevent them from achieving wealth, which is such powerful work. It's work that I myself and my own personal journey have just started to look into because so many of these wounds we carry, I've carried unconsciously. Can you share more about that work of helping the community heal the generational money wounds that prevent them from achieving wealth? Yes. So it's really important for me to communicate that there is a space in the market, which for me is the stock market, that is very masculine driven. But I feel like there is a big feminine component in that space. And I also feel that the market itself is looking for this level of femininity in terms of wanting to be accessed by feminine divine. And what I started to understand, the more that I wanted to conquer my own limitations surrounding money, because I felt that if I was spiritual and I was seeking money, that then money would make me greedy. Mm. So as I started to explore this space, I began to ask my mind, am I greedy if I seek this topic? What does that make me? What does it mean for let there be lose? And I started to understand that money is actually hand in hand with the spiritual journey, that it is actually about how we value ourselves. It is a direct reflection. It is a mirror of how much we love ourselves. And I found that to be a very highly controversial thought because it meant that then we are not the victim of our circumstances and that we have to begin to take onus and responsibility for the experiences that we have and that we continue to create, that manifesting isn't just the manifestation of good, that it also can include the manifestation of bad. There's something here that is untapped and unexplored, and I want to identify why. So I began to really use the stock market as a mirror to reflect my own personal emotions pertaining to money. And my emotions pertaining to money were very common emotions and feeling towards money in my community. So as I began this explorative journey, I pivoted once again and I moved away from the podcast, Let There Be Lose. And I went full force into In Lose We Trust, taking on a masculine topic taking up the space 
and connecting the mental and spiritual aspect of it with the action that is needed in order to build generational wealth. Because I think that what is missing in spiritual communities, specifically when I started, was the word wealth was missing and the word abundance was everywhere. And I felt that abundance was actually becoming a disservice to our perspective on what we were actually trying to say, which is, I want to get compensated for this business that I have. I sell these products. It's rooted in spiritual growth, but I'm not seeing any money. And I felt like it's because we're not clear on what it is that we're trying to navigate. It's wealth. We could be abundance in a lot of things, but I think what we're really requesting for this time and space is money, accessibility, and resources. And there's nothing wrong with that. Wow. I think that's such a key point that you made. I think with manifestation practice, I would love to hear what your manifestation practice looks like these days now that you've evolved into this version of you that marries the spirituality with the wealth. Because I also find that topic to be considered taboo still in a lot of communities. But I think it's the being specific of what it is that you're calling in. It's like, I'm calling in abundance. Okay, great. We're going to give you an abundance of friends, right? It's like, okay, but what about the money? It's that piece of being specific with, I'm calling in wealth. And yeah, I'm curious about how you view that with your manifestation practice today. Do you have a manifestation practice? I do have a manifestation practice. I have to say that I have been manifesting incredible things. My first, I don't think I've ever shared this, my very first thing that I consciously manifested, okay? Because I've never shared this. And I think it's important. I was in high school and I was a freshman and I wanted to be, this is so superficial, but mm-hmm. I wanted to be freshman princess, freshman homecoming princess. Let's, yes, let's go back to what my circumstances at the time. At the time I was a mom, I was a teen mom. I also did not have my front tooth. My front tooth never grew in. It was actually gifted to me by a school nurse my senior year in high school. She fixed my teeth out of the kindness of her heart. And so you're looking at someone that didn't have a front tooth or listening to someone speaking that didn't have a front tooth in high school that was a teen mom that was formerly in gangs, that did not live with her parents, that was working straight after high school, like trying to buy diapers and things like that. And so that's where this idea of like, I would love to be freshman princess. It was this moment of wanting to be something that everyone would say, you know, you're not even going to make it past high school. Like you are discarded. The way that society worked back then was crazy. Like cancel culture is crazy now. Yes. But it was also really bad back then. Like if you were a statistic, you were written off from family members, from society, from the school system, from everyone. As a freshman, you're 14. Yes. You're a child. And what that does to a child's sense of self and subconscious, I mean, wow. Yes. 
So I began the practice of, I didn't even know this existed, by the way. This was 1994, okay? So we're talking about, there is no The Secret. There was no, oh, you know, I wasn't watching Oprah at the time. Like there was none of that, you know? So I just began to see it happening. I started to use my third eye and I began to see myself getting, becoming freshman princess. And when it happened, I understood that I had magical powers, point blank. No one could convince me otherwise. Like I knew there's no way this could have happened in a normal setting. And so therefore I willed it. That's the word I would use is I willed it to happen. I have a will that is powerful. And I began from then on, I just began using my will and I would, because that's what we would call it. And I would just will it all in, will it in. And that's how my practice started was by visualization. And then as my mindset grew and I wanted bigger things, like when I read the book, The Alchemist, I knew in that moment that one day I would write a book and that my book would come. Shortly after, I knew that the book would turn into a movie. Like there were all these things that these processes that I knew. But I also started to learn that the bigger my visions got, that they were going to come in different packages. So it no longer looked, which was a point of contention with me. So it no longer looked like the freshman in high school that was going to will freshman princess that now my vision was so big that I wasn't going to be able to really like envision the path or the mm-hmm. way the package looked and the timing of the package that it would get here. Like Freshman Princess was so, it needed to come homecoming. There was a football game involved. There were all these elements that I was willing in to control. The bigger it got, there were the elements that I didn't know existed, the people in place that I did not know that I was not in contact with. It was something that was going to have to come way outside of me from different energies that I didn't know at the time. And so it was learning to be patient with the process in, oh, when it gets bigger, I don't get to control the timeline. I don't necessarily get to say it needs to happen in a year from now because there's so many more pieces that need to be developed and formed. Like maybe my publisher isn't born yet. Maybe my agent isn't an agent yet. Like there's so many other pieces. And I had to really have trust and have faith that no matter that the timeline would come at the right time and that it would come. And yeah, mm-hmm. so it requires a different level of patience and understanding that I am co-creating. It's no longer what feels like the full creation. I'm co-creating. And so when you co-create, that means that you have to trust the other person, entity, energy that you're co-creating with and understand that when you are co-creating, you're co-creating with something that is so much more powerful and has the ability to see things in a different way. And so I have to let go. And so when the universe comes and says, your book is going to be on the stock market, I'm like, this is not what I, like, I did not sign up for this. Like, no, this is something I refuse. And it took time to move through the fear and like, no, this is what you're being called. Like, this is the mission. 
this is what it looks like. This is the assignment. And you understood the assignment. <laughs> at first, I didn't. <laughs> at first, I did not. I was like, I don't know about this. But then I was like, okay, I understand. Okay, it's fine. I'll do it. Oh, wow. I mean, that is the ultimate surrender and non-attachment, isn't it? It really is. It really, truly is. I mean, the, the subject at hand, I say this, I had so much fear. And when I say fear, I mean fear. You could find me trembling. I would go into panic attacks where I would just, I couldn't handle the amount of fear. I was afraid. My biggest fear was that like someone was going to come knock on my door, that there would be like these white men that like arrest me for writing a book on a topic that I don't have a license in. Like these were real fears I had and that people were going to be like, you can't write about this. You're not allowed to do that. And my biggest question to my publisher was like, am I allowed to write this? That's a real question. And she's like, of course, of course you can. We have a whole legal team. We're a big publishing company. Like you're not doing this by yourself, you know, like, yes, you know. So, yeah. Yes, queen. And it's like, you have to do this because you're helping so many people, so many people. And with that, what do you find are the most common generational money wounds that people carry specifically from the Latine community, but BIPOC folks, what do you, what do you find that are the most common generational money wounds that people have? I'm not good with money is a big one. Wealthy people are greedy mm. is another big one. And money is the root of all evil. That's another really big one. At the core those are the issues that we have in our community at yeah. the core. Yeah. It's almost like money is the sort of villain. Oh, yeah, definitely. But we need it to eat and we need it to put a safe roof over our head. And if we have a specific area of education that we want to go into, we need it to pay for that. It's a necessity. Yeah. And I want to double tap on a point that you made earlier about spirituality and financial wealth. Do you think that there is an intersection between wellness or spirituality and financial wealth? I do. Actually, now that I have saw the intersection in my head, and I think I've always believed there's an intersection, but now that I'm looking at it closer right in this moment, I actually think like it's the same road. And I know that this is like a controversial perspective. It's my perspective. You're willing to take it or not. But I'd like to offer you to listen to it, to say the least. But I think that in order for us to be well, to be clean, to have a clean scalp, to have clean ears, to have healthy teeth, we need to have access to resources. And so at the core of well-being, I do believe that they go hand in hand. It's not necessarily something that needs to be sought out specifically. What needs to be sought out is your calling. Like if we seek out our calling in its organic form and the way it's being shown to us, and we're stopping ourselves from fear, and we're stopping ourselves because we're doing jobs for money, 
that we don't like, that's where the toxicity, that's where the toxic relationship with money exists. We have a higher calling that's calling us to execute something that we're meant to do, that we want to do, that is going to bring us joy. But on top of bringing us joy, it's also going to bring us money. And so I actually don't see it as an intersection. I see it as the same lane. And so for most of us, we might have this space where we feel we're doing things holistically, but maybe our nine to five or our day to day is in complete unalignment and we're doing it specifically for money. And that's where the toxicity uh, comes to mind and lets us know that we're not in full alignment. I love that visualization of it's not actually an intersection. It's the same path. I love that perspective. And congratulations on your book, by the way. I am just so excited for you. I remember that at the uh, Amigas and Wealth event that you spoke at, I think that's when you shared the story that your assistant is a college student and they went to their library and they went to seek out a book that was, was it a book specifically about financial wealth for BIPOC folks? Yeah. Yeah. So he got really curious and wondered if my book was there. So he didn't put in the name of my book. Instead, what he typed in the search engine for was financial literacy for BIPOC. And it was It was the only book that came up. But the fact that it even came up, the fact that he was even at a major university, you know, at UT Austin, I understand is a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have full body chills and it's the first and it's the first of many. Somebody somebody had to do it first and that was you and congratulations on that. I, I just love that story. And the book, Wealth Warrior, for those listening, go check it out. I'm so excited to dive into it. It's out in stores now. I have my own copy. And I want to ask you, what does Wealth Warrior mean to you? Wealth Warrior, for me, at the root of warrior, it makes me think of an ancestral lineage. And I'm talking about deep ancestry, where there are the original merchants, the original traders, and they had to defend their lands. Uh, And so there's this sense of a warrior and what a warrior brings to the table. And so that, for me, it's very rooted in my ancestors. But then I bring it to the surface and it's the internal war in our heads, the one that is fighting on a day-to-day basis against our limitations, against beliefs that were handed down to us from our latest ancestors that are not the original mindset that our, you know, older ancestors had. And so it's the remembering and the fight that is taking place within. And, you know, wealth was really important for me to bring to the forefront. I think it's much more common now which is amazing, which is incredible, which is what we need. But when I first started, using wealth in our community was 
cringy. I mean, I didn't know of anyone that was using it. We were using, again, abundance, as I mentioned earlier. So it was really important for me to just display wealth. And a lot of the times I think we discount the wealth that we have because when we think of wealth, we think of an amount that we haven't necessarily seen in our communities. Mm, and that is what you're here to change because that book is is a way for people to have those tools. And it's like wealth hasn't been accumulated by, we're talking about our community, the Latinx, Latine community for a myriad of reasons, right? Colonization and, uh, you know, it's so, so many reasons. And the salve for so much of that is education. And nowadays, people that are born in today's day, they have access to infinite amount of information and education. And so it's also like education with empowerment to say that you have a seat at the table too. And Latinx folks also can be and deserve to be wealthy. I just can't wait to dive into the book. My little sister and I are going to read it together. And again, she's freaking 19. I'm like, honey, just just put $100 a month. Put if you just do put anything. Like, I will give you money if you give me a cut. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But I'm so excited. And as we wrap up, as we wrap up, I always love to close with some practical alchemy, of course, it being the name of the podcast. And that just translates to a lesson, a tool that can be practically implemented to alchemize the listener's life. And so I'll give you a moment to think, but could you leave our listeners with a simple, maybe not too out there yet impactful financial wellness tip that they can implement today? Yeah. So one of the things I want to share that I think is very easy and accessible, but yet powerful, the more that you use it, the more that you will become more confident in the use of it, is to simply question your mind. Question your brain in the sense of get clear on how much you're making, how much is leaving, or just get clear on how much you're making. Sometimes it's while it's a really simple ask, it can get really overwhelming. Like as I say, or how much money is leaving, I can already feel the overwhelm. So let's just start with how much you're bringing in and then start to question your mind. Why am I bringing in this much? How can I bring in more? Just to develop certain questions surrounding that. You can. This is a practice that you can do while you're driving, This is a practice that you can do while you're washing dishes. Just any moment that you get to yourself where you can identify your thoughts, start asking your mind these types of questions. I think that this is a practice that we don't utilize enough. The more that we tap into our brain and go inside and start to ask questions internally, we can really start to shift the ideas thoughts and concepts that we come up with. So that's a very simple one that I'd like to invite you to use. I love that. Thank you so much. And like I said, Wealth Warrior is out now. We will link it in the show notes so you can grab your own copy. And Linda, how can people stay connected with you? How can they learn more from you? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Luz Warrior, L-U-Z, Luz, 
And you can find my community also on Instagram in Loose We Trust. And then you can find more information on my website or the link in the bio on my Instagram. I have courses, of course, the book. I have an online community with over 400 uh, Latinas that are investing and working on their money mindset. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your medicine with us today. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I'll see you soon. Thank you. I appreciate you.